show features Tyler Fornis and Deshaun Vaughn as they talk your Minnesota Vikings with you, the fans. And we are live. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the second voyage of CTP Mondays. Anthony, Dakota Dozier has not been cut yet, but let me tell you something. This show would have cut him a year ago. I am your co-host, Tyler Fornis, and with me, as always, is Sean Vaughn. We have our trusty producer, Dave, behind the scenes. He will pop up in a little bubble right below our screens from time to time to share his wisdom. There he is, that beautiful beard. Uh, Deshaun, I have cracked myself a cold modest, and I am feeling really good today. How are you doing? Oh, we are doing great. Uh, not so much like that performance the other day, but uh, ready to look back and maybe take some good from all the bad. Absolutely, and let's let's start talking about that, uh, Ryan. I appreciate you noticing the new digs um, up above my left shoulder. We've got Moss Mooning Lambeau Field, always a classic. And if anybody can guess what's up above my right shoulder, I will be very impressed. I want to see some guesses here in the comments. Um, but let let's talk about it, Deshaun. And it's really interesting to kind of break this game down. And we're going to talk a lot about it here tonight. But the game needs to be taken into context. And the context was probably the 31 best players on the roster didn't suit up at all. And you could kind of make an argument that, hey, maybe DJ Wadham or Cam Dancer are among those top 31. And that's fine. But at that point, we're splitting hairs. Basically, your top players, none of them played. And the outcome of the game really doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter if you win. It doesn't matter if you lose. But what matters is how do you perform on an individual and a team level? Seth, hopefully that is our big L of the year. Now, if you remember that that 2015 year, they did have they had a big L to the Packers uh, in like November too. So let's let's uh, let's not start manifesting things here before we need to. Um, biggest takeaway for you, Deshaun, considering we were without our basically our top 31 players. So the biggest takeaway for me is the individual battles, like you said. So as a team as a whole, there was a lot of Broncos ones versus our twos and threes. So as a team, the performance was always going to be bad. We were never going to go out there and compete as a whole on a high level. So from that aspect, it looked really bad. But when you go back and you examine the individual battles, I think you can take more away from the game. Because the game kind of seemed pointless. Because once we went down like 33 to 6, it's like the, they had no interest in making a comeback. I think they had mm-hmm. 18 rushing attempts after they, went, after they went down 27. So it was almost like they were trying to just get out of there with no injuries. But... Even within that, you were still able to see some individuals put up good, good performances. Some people didn't do so well, but it was it. You can take like uh, Andre Patterson said today. It was nice seeing our twos versus their ones, even though some people didn't hold up well. No, hundred percent. And I think uh, kind of uh, to the theme of what we've been doing, Mary kind of put it best. It's a preseason game, and those stars playing. Everyone needs to calm down. And I think that's spot on. And to kind of dive into one of those positional things that you mentioned, I was really intrigued by the defensive ends. And I know you had tweeted out that I don't believe the Vikings had a pressure. Is that correct? 
the Vikings didn't have a pressure outside of the two guys that are, that are probably going to be playing a lot during the season. So DJ Wanham and I think Weatherly both recorded a pressure or two themselves, but after that, no pressure from any ends. And I, I think what was really interesting for me for those defensive ends was I saw Wanham active and he was, he wasn't being stifled by the offensive line. He was, at maneuvering around them. He was preventing himself from really engaging, getting dominated physically. He was, it felt like he was just like one step away from really uh, breaking out a couple of those pass rushes into a big play. And I think the evolution from what we saw last year, where he really had some struggles uh, once he engaged the offensive lineman, I think that's a really, really good sign as far as what's to come. Patrick Jones, the length and quickness is, is more impressive uh, every time I see him. And I was uh, notoriously not high on Patrick Jones, as we kind of talked about last week. And I talked about it live on the draft show as well. But I like how these guys have really just been fighting. And you can tell that there's effort there. And you can tell that they have grown. And growth, for me, is the biggest thing. I said Janarius Robinson dropping into coverage. Obviously, these are Manila uh, plays that we're getting we're getting basic stuff Zimmer's not going to bust out the playbook for these games he's going to bust them out in practice like one week before week one uh and I think the fact that we're seeing that we saw DJ Wanham get a pick six in practice the other week dropping into the flat I'm really intrigued to see what this defense is going to look like because I think that Zimmer is going to be really creative he's going to drop guys into coverage he's going to uh, utilize unique blitzes I think he's got uh linebackers yeah, with Anthony Barr and even Chas Surratt, who can really be interesting gap penetrators and then have his edges really take a step back, have Daniel Hunter stand up on the inside. It's going to be a fun football team. And I think that was my biggest takeaway from those individual battles. Uh, they Wanham didn't get engaged and he didn't lose hand fights. And I think that's just a huge win compared to last year. So he did have one play that kind of stuck out to me, but it was like one of the first plays of the game. So I kind of, I'm not going to overreact to it, but the Broncos were running, they were doing like a draw play to the right or something like that. And he was on a tight end. And I think he just, he just filled the gap wrong and the halfback was able to back and it was supposed to be DJ Wanham's hole. But then at the Mm -hmm. end of that drive on the, uh, on the same drive that had Chris Boyd's pass breakup, they ran a uh, outside zone and he was able to keep the tackle from getting outside and allowed the next level guy to get in. Unfortunately, that guy was miles Dorn, who was not having a good day at all. And he missed the tackle, but it's nice to see DJ now doing things in both phases. Cause it's not just about pass rush. I think Danelle Hunter talks about it all the time. You have to be able to do both. You have to be able to pass rush and you have to be able to run defend. So, it's interesting to see if DJ can take that next spot and take over Weatherly's starting position. Andre Patterson said today that that's, that position is not locked in. Weatherly is not 100% the starter. He has those chances. And next week he's going to get a big chance with a lot of the starters playing. Absolutely. And I think we need to put this in the back of our mind. Let's not commit to it. Let's not think it's even a great possibility. But if these guys keep stepping up and you have, have to cut a defensive lineman, Weatherly could be one of those guys. I don't necessarily believe it's going to be the case, but what happens if you have Patrick Jones, DJ Wanham stepping up and they look like they can be a real rotational piece. You have Janarius Robinson maybe playing a little bit better than you expected at this time, and you need a roster spot for him. Stephen Weatherly could be one of those cuts, especially 
if we see the, some growth from some of those younger guys, like maybe a Kenny Willekes, maybe a Jalen Holmes proves he can be a real uh, interior and exterior piece where he can go from three technique to defensive end. It'll be really interesting to see at Weatherly at whether he wins that job or he even makes the roster, which I think there's about a 5% chance he doesn't. But I think it's a non-zero possibility, so we should at least kind of mention it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think just with his experience alone, that's kind of enough for him to be on the roster. But I love that it's not 100% guaranteed. Like, he has to work for it. He hasn't done anything to guarantee him that spot. And I I love that about camp battles, that everybody, no matter who you think is going to be a starter, everybody has to work for it. It's just like on the offensive line. Some guys were – I saw some tweets today saying that people were upset that Wyatt Davis didn't automatically get, you know, the twos with the right guards. And it was mm-hmm. Dozier again, unfortunately. But, you know, they want to see Davis continue the work. He got – he got behind on his first couple of snaps to Shamar Stefan, which is a massive stain on your resume. But then he came back, he settled down, and he actually had a really good game. So if he can follow that up, I can see him being with the twos maybe the easy game. No, I agree 100%. And what was really interesting about uh, Davis, struggled early, had, had a couple of really rough snaps right away, and then he settled in, and he just looked more comfortable. And I think understanding that comfort factor really is going to translate moving forward as he starts facing the higher echelon competition as he kind of moves up the depth chart. Uh, his uh, PFF grade was 50 points higher than Dakota Dozier, which we won't spend much time talking about him because, quite frankly, he's uh, borderline worthless. Uh, I, I think it can't be stated enough that he's uh, uh, Rick Denison loves him. He knows the system incredibly well. And... I think that's the reason he's on this football team still. But with Dennison only being in a consultant role and not in a full position coach, maybe he loses some say. At, that'll be interesting. But we shouldn't panic about Wyatt Davis and Christian Darisak quite yet because it's August 16th. There's time. Darisak, I feel like, was drafted more for this year um, and projecting moving forward. Davis is a little bit more of a project than Darisaw, in my opinion, as far as being successful immediately. So we shouldn't hit the panic button yet. Uh, and I'm really excited to kind of see how these guys keep developing. Uh, Deshaun, who else really impressed you uh, this uh, this week? And yes, Ryan, an Oklahoma player. Yes, Mia played better. <laughs> <laughs> but he did. And I, I think Ryan has a really good point. Samia looked like a different player yeah. than he did last year. He looked like a capable offensive lineman. Yeah, and I think that's really all we ask for. I mean, you come out there and you look completely out of place, but then, you know, you continue to work and you get better, and that's all fans can really ask for. If, you, if you're if you going to suck, try at least get better and make some kind of progress. But the guy that really mm-hmm. stuck out to me was Mason Cole, the – the guard center that we traded for from Arizona, he played a really good game in both phases. I think he played like three and a half quarters. He might have, he didn't play the entire game, but I think he played like three and a half quarters. He did well in pass protection and he did really well in run blocking. He was really able to shield off defenders. And the thing that kind of got me why he, so he wears number 52 and him and Bradbury are like the exact same size player. He almost looks just like Bradbury out there. So for the guys who uh, aren't big fans of Bradbury, we kind of got his replicate as his backup, so there's another option there. And also the tackle break Blandle. Um, 
he also did really well at left tackle. Tef played the entire game. I believe he was the guy who had 100% of the snaps, didn't give yep. up a single pressure. So you get those two impressive performances out there. They're now guys that you have to look at. And I love that the Vikings rewarded him right away by giving him snaps with the ones in practice. Playing 100% of the snaps, you know, even even though I don't think the Broncos played Chubb or Miller, but even being out there, you know, not really making a ton of mistakes, it's something that needs to be rewarded. And I'm glad they did that for him. I agree 100%. Uh, Brando was going to be the guy that I really wanted to talk about because I thought he played exceptionally well. I think some of the things you see are the reasons why he was a six-round pick and he was on the practice squad last year. He is not athletic enough to really succeed at tackle long-term. But what I did see was I saw him fight. I saw him utilize good technique and leverage against defensive ends. And I think he can really transition inside and be a capable starting guard at maybe even as soon as the end of the year this year. Uh, Brandel really did a good job of staying in front of his guy. He didn't get beat. He kind of lunged a little bit, and he really got out of position trying to overcome his athletic uh, deficiencies. But at the end of the day, you don't really have as many athletic deficiencies when you're on the interior, and I think a move inside can really suit him well. And rewarding him with the ones today, as you alluded to, Deshaun, it's a fantastic move and a fantastic coaching gesture. Uh, reward guys who play well. And then who knows what they're going to do with the opportunity. Like before we drafted Garrett Bradbury, the Vikings have made a living off of guys who uh, early on in their careers were like six round picks. Matt Burke was a six round pick. John Sullivan was a six round pick. Jeff Christie, a former all pro for that 1998 Vikings team was undrafted. (laughs) We made it, we made a killing on getting like low capital centers and making them, all pros and pro bowlers. So it's really nice to see that that it feels like the pipeline might be coming back into fruition just a little bit. Brando has really started to show something. Oli Udo as a guy I know you pounded the table for for a long time. He has shown something, and it feels like he's the presumptive starter now at right guard. So I'm really excited to continue to see the develop of these lower tier guys, and it's it was really nice to see. Um, now uh, let's kind of talk the flip side. Because obviously the score was a disappointment. The flow of the game was a disappointment. But there were a few disappointing individual performances. Deshaun, who who really stood out to you? The two D-backs, unfortunately. Actually, I'll say the three. The two safeties and the cornerback, they just did not have good games. I feel like every time something big was happening, it was their name. Uh, Dylan Mabin. Miles Dorn, and then Cameron Bynum. Cameron Bynum, he only, I feel like Cameron Bynum only messed up one time, and that was on the long 80-yard touchdown play. Um, he was he got caught peeking in the backfield. K.J. Hamler just kind of ran past everybody. Mm-hmm. But those are the kind of plays that you just can't get back. So that I feel like for him, that was kind of a one-and-done kind of thing. And then Miles Dorn messed up so many times. There were missed tackles. He was just out of position on a call. They gave him a touchdown. He missed a tackle. It Fortunately, got called back for a holding, and then Chris Boyd kind of saved the drive Drive after that. But safety depth has become an issue now that Harrison Smith is older. Um, Xavier Woods is kind of just like this average player, sort of, and we don't have anybody behind those two. So now you might mm-hmm. at that position when you start to have those camp cuts. Another position that kind of disappointed was Brenton Colquitt, man. 
Those punts oh. were hard to watch. And punts, special teams, hard for us to watch. So he, I think he averaged 40 yards a punt on four punts. And I think if you were to rank that among the punts last year, that's like 40th in the NFL. So like someone alluded to in the comments, uh, they did bring in another guy who averaged around 48-ish yards. I think that's about middle of the pack. But it's just you need that consistency from punting. You just can't have be giving guys short fields, and especially with this kind. If the pass blocking isn't doing great, and we're having a lot of three and outs, you just you need to be able to flip that and give your defensive chance. And Brent Coker just didn't do that, so I don't think holding, uh, being a holder. I know people were so excited for him to hold for Dan Bailey. Being a holder shouldn't save your roster spot, so we're gonna have another kicking competition. Hopefully, we bring in another field goal kicker too, because Greg Joseph kind of just won the job from those kicks that he had on last game, and Riley Patterson got released. Greg Joseph, eighty-five uh, percent career, so maybe it's not too bad. But I know Ryan, Ryan didn't like him when he was on the Browns, so we'll have to see. I think the one thing that's really interesting about Greg Joseph is we really don't know what kind of kicker he is because he has less than 50 career field goals. And I think that's part of the big issue is you're trusting a guy who doesn't have a resume, who didn't have a great profile coming out to be your guy at a position that this team has struggled with since Blair Walsh missed that fateful kick against Seattle. And it's really hard for me to wrap my head around the justification of putting little resource into that position, considering it's been a big red flag on you. Arthur, thanks for joining. Scold you too as well, man. Um, and it's it's difficult. It's very difficult to uh, get there. Um, my biggest one, uh, as far as uh, guys that really disappointed me, was Amir Smith-Marset. He played almost 85% of the snaps. Uh, he, he looked uninspired. He wasn't very aggressive. He felt very tentative when he was trying to catch the football. There were a couple plays, One, uh, both of them, I believe, slants. He, he just looked like he just kind of threw his arms up like it was Todd Pinkston in 04 Philadelphia, those gator arms, and just <laughs> hoping to grab the ball out of midair. And he didn't come down with it. It just felt like – I don't know if it was a mental thing. I don't know if it was just an off day. But all the reports were that he was having a fantastic camp as a wide receiver. And yeah, you see some of the clips on how explosive he is coming out of his breaks and him making some really nice catches in the end zone. And then we see this, and it feels like two completely different players. It's like what the Vikings see in Chad Beebe and what we all see in Chad Beebe. Like that, that kind of disparity. It's, it's, it was really tough to watch. I, I think we need to calm down on uh, crowning Amir Smith-Marset as anything just yet because I really don't think that he has done anything to warrant making the team at this point. Fifth-round pick, tough to uh, part ways from this early, but it's also far from uh, abnormal, especially for this Vikings team, to uh, part ways with a fifth-round pick. Hell, they even parted away with Willie Beavers after his first camp because he was just bad. Uh, I'm not saying Amir Smith-Marset is, but that in order to understand what they might do, you have to understand what they have done. And I'm going to be really interested to see how it kind of plays out. I think Amir Smith-Marset desperately needs to have a bounce-back game against the Indianapolis Colts this weekend. And that was, that was just my biggest one. Uh, Bynum, as you mentioned, like he's transitioning to safety. He made a mistake. Uh, Zimmer's going to yell at him. He's going to run 50 laps, and he's going to look at why he made the mistake and not make it again, hopefully. So... Uh, Willie Beavers so is starting, that. isn't he? 
Uh, Isn't Willie yes. Beavis starting for the Falcons? Yes. <laughs> oh, man, a franchise is horrible. <laughs> it's almost so, as horrible as the Texans. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, I don't think anybody reaches Texans level. <laughs> but I gave ISM some slack. Because the game plan that Clint came with was extremely unexpired. It, everything yeah. was short. It was all ins, outs, and slants. So from his standpoint, he needs to be able to just come and do whatever it is that they want him to do. But ins, outs, and slants aren't his game. And he has to learn that his game needs to be whatever that they want him to do. But when you're not doing really what made you this like this special highlight player in college, I can see how you can get a little bit unexpired. Now, the things that really got on me for ISM was when he was running his his routes short of the first down line on, I think it was like a third down and a fourth down. So the slant that he ran was not near the first down line. So even if he had caught it, he wouldn't have got it. And then the out that he ran was like three yards away from the first down line. So just that simple awareness, that's the kind of stuff that they're looking for in this first preseason game. Clint is not calling the plays really for you to be on the highlight reel, but he's calling the plays to make sure that you're still doing what it is that you need to be doing on a play-to-play basis. And he wasn't doing that. So he was targeted. I want to believe he was targeted six times. He only caught two passes. And I think only like one of those attempts went beyond 10 yards. But next week, hopefully he still gets that chance. Hopefully he can settle in and just kind of do whatever those guys need him to do. First of all, catch the ball. (laughs) And then just have a little bit more awareness of where the markers are for, I guess, whoever it's throwing the ball. Probably Kellen Munn again. Because Jake Browning, man. Oof. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was bad. That was so bad. Oh. You know, I, uh, Mike Zimmer talks a lot about Jake Browning, and the way he talks about Jake Browning kind of reminds me a little bit of how he talked about Teddy Bridgewater when Teddy was uh, quarterback for the Vikings. Uh, talks about him like like he's his son. Just talks like at, he works hard. He busts his butt. He does that. He's going to go get the job done. But Teddy had his issues. And we knew what those issues were, and we know what they still are. Jake Browning, amplify that to the third degree, man. Oh, my goodness. I knew he didn't have a great arm, but he was making poor decisions. He was staring guys down. He looked like he hadn't played a football game in two years. And I think we also need to remember, he hasn't played a football game in two years. There was no preseason (laughs) last year. So as much as I was incredibly frustrated, and it's really easy to make this kind of like a – overreaction i'm i want to give jake browning one more game to show what he has as the potential backup quarterback there like uh eric eager a uh, friend of the show uh talked about uh, in a thread the other day about developmental quarterbacks and how they have really been lost in the course of time in the national football league like you look at some of these guys Jeff Hostetler was a developmental quarterback, won a Super Bowl in 1990 with the Giants. Uh, Brad Johnson, Vikings drafted him in the ninth round, the last year they had a ninth round out of Florida State. And guess what? He became a Super Bowl champion. Netted the Vikings at first, a second, and a third-round pick when we traded him after the 98 season. You have guys that you can develop into quality starting quarterbacks, and that's really been lost. And I think that the the kind of the antithesis of this issue – is what the Vikings are seeing right now. Yet you have a guy that you've developed on the practice squad, but he really hasn't done anything. He really hasn't shown anything uh, worthwhile to this point. And if 
things were different, I think you might be talking about uh, the Vikings backup quarterback position being a little bit more fruitful, at least right out the gate, because the backup quarterback just isn't nearly worth as much as it used to be. Yeah, definitely. I feel uh, that, but I feel like they've, they've kind of gone after what you're talking about with Kellen Mund and they give, they're giving mm-hmm. him two seasons. And I'll say from Mund, his, his debut was nothing special, but it was, it wasn't too high and it wasn't too low. It was very even keel, super calm. He avoided the rush. I liked what I saw. From Calamon. Yes. I mean, given the game plan, given the pass protection, given what they what they handed him to do, I think he passed expectations. Like the play on the gold line, I think it was fourth down. He like rolls out to the right. Uh Wap filler kind of makeshifts his route. He comes back, he throws a perfect pass. It should be a touchdown, but the guy pops it out of his arm and it's turnover and downs. Those are the kind of plays that you want to see your athletic big developmental quarterback making and he made them he ran a few times he even ran once and shook a guy out of his shoes so i was excited for calamon it's hard to you know i guess appreciate the development of jake browning when you have calamon who brings so much excitement he has that big arm he has he's a very rhythmic thrower once he gets when he once he gets into a groove he can really carve you up he can run he runs well he runs when he's supposed to so the backup qb battle is still on I feel like people really don't want to see any more of Jake Browning after he made uh, Patrick Sertain look like he should have been picked at wherever the Broncos picked him. So mm-hmm. I still think you give Jake Browning the twos against the Colts and then maybe give Mon the twos with the Chiefs, I guess we play last. But like you said, backup quarterback, we'll see what happens. Yeah, coach, coaching would for sure be huge with Mon. I think one thing uh, Zimmer said, and he's really harping on with Mon, is he's not processing things fast. So I personally didn't see it. Um, and Mon, Mon even himself said he didn't know what Mike Zimmer was talking about. But uh, coaching would for sure be huge with him. And who knows if we have the right coaches for him. I guess we'll find that out in two years. But I guess you just uh, have to sit and wait and try to be excited for these backup QBs. Yeah, I see Viking Jerome popped in the chat. Uh, good to have you on the show, man. But just throwing shots at me, Jerome, I thought we were cool. I thought we were cool. But uh, one thing you know, Jerome, is we're always just going to give our honest opinion. And we're, we're not going to be hot takey. We're just, we're just going to be honest. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think Mon did process pretty well. Uh, I think Zimmer was a little off base as far as the general scope. Now, if Zimmer wasn't giving us enough context for what he was talking about his processing, I'd be interested to have that conversation and uh, that buy him a, a nice uh, bottle of Sutter Home Cabernet and see if he just gets mad enough where he just starts telling me things. Uh, but I think uh, one thing that really frustrated me with Mon right away, and I think a lot of this has to do with he's a rookie. He missed 10 days of practice due to COVID-19. Uh, he really wanted to t- uh, tuck the ball and run a little too quick. And... Uh, because he's a guy who has a really good ability to move and run the football. I understand that. We've seen that with a lot of guys who have had similar skill sets and traits, like Lamar Jackson really wanted to run the football right away. RG3, Michael Vick, even Steve Young. It'll take some time. He'll get more comfortable. But I did like how he, he was just trying to make plays. He saw the play breaking down. 
and he we would try to make like those Brett Favre throws, like the shovel pass, and then just trying to try to flip it out to the fullback or the running back in the flat. I really liked that. And he's trying to make plays. He's trying to make a difference. And he wasn't making boneheaded decisions. And I think when you combine all of that, it's really nice to kind of project forward and keep building on that success. And it's he's a project. He's going to take time. If he has to see the field this year, it's an utter disaster on multiple levels. You should not have to see the field at all this year. You don't want him to see the field at all this year. But come 2022, I think we can – if things keep going the way I see it progressing, I think we can have ourselves a potential starting quarterback. Yeah, I think the, you hit the nail on the head, the making plays. A lot of people call it the it factor. It's like what those guys like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes have. And you, you just kind of seen that in a couple of the plays where he's going to run around and he's going to make plays without turning over the ball. And I think that that right there was probably from. Kellen I don't think he threw it. You saw Justin Fields fumble and almost throw a pick. You saw Trey Lance almost throw a pick. And I think uh, Trevor Lawrence fumbled too and almost threw a pick. But he took care of the football and he still was able to almost make those plays, even though the guys were dropping passes left and right, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's kind of stuff that you want to see early from your guy as he's still winning, he's still learning the game. You see those traits that you can't teach. There's certain things that Patrick Mahomes does that you can't teach. There are things that Lamar Jackson does that you cannot teach. So mm-hmm. to see that early on, and we'll continue to see that, that's what I wanted to see. Because like you said, 10 days on a COVID list, uh, Zimmer was even uh, iffy about him even playing. So of course, you know the, the playbook is watered down. He's not going to have all the nice plays. Nothing's really going to be opened up for him, but he's still out there. He's taking care of the football. He's making plays. He's taking the guys down the field. Even though we're running 18, 19 times with our untracked after running back yeah and i'll give aj rose credit 25 carries 100 yards hard to break 100 yards in the preseason considering all the missing pieces and the lack of chemistry and you see the beautiful artwork there from dave uh if you if you don't follow a lot of really 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 cool stuff so make sure uh you give him a follow uh i think this team is going to be really interesting in the fact that uh, I want to kind of touch on Mary's comments right here. Um, not a really big fan of uh, Mike Zimmer's postgame comments. And I think this is an interesting topic to kind of dive into real quick before we continue to move on. Uh, Zimmer is just an honest guy. He doesn't give a shit. He's just going to tell you how he feels. He's a very old school blue collar that way. He's like, if you're offended, I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm just going to be blunt with you. And to me, there's, there's a, I have a real level of respect for him there uh, because he's just honest and he just says what he feels. He wears his heart on his sleeve that way, and I think that's great. But I also think uh, Viking Jerome has a really good point. He's just grouchy. Uh, just go back in your trash can and t- take a nap. Uh, just, I, I think he needs to calm down a little bit, especially with Calvin Mond right now. But we also don't know Calamon as a person. Maybe he's going to react really well to that. Maybe that's the way he likes to be coached up. You know, there are a lot of different things. So, that Mary, just take those uh, comments with a grain of salt. Then it's just Zimmer being Zimmer. And if you generally have an issue with Zimmer just being Zimmer, I understand that. I respect it because Zimmer is not everybody's cup of tea. Like uh, some people like the Sean McVay approach, where he's just going to be your buddy 
and he's just going to uh, spin everything to be super positive. You know, that's for some people. For me, I like Mike Zimmer to be like, yeah, he sucks. Like, I kind of appreciate <laughs> that. I know what you're thinking. So, like, it's. Yeah, it's, I love the. the uh... The halftime, oh man, when Zim came out of, or when he was going into halftime, uh, he was not going to be at all. Uh, the guy was, he was trying so hard to pull something positive out of it. Zim was like, no, nah, I'm not having the purple. <laughs> he was like, yeah, we didn't play well. We stink. Like, there's like, uh, it reminded me of the late Bobby Bowden after the 96 Sugar Bowl against Florida. He's like, yeah, we stunk today. They just came in and whipped our asses all over the field. Like, I really appreciate that kind of honesty. And Mary's right. Be careful what that does to your players. Like if uh, uh, Zimmer were to coach up Deshaun, myself, and Dave all the same way, we're going to have three different reactions to it. And that's where that kind of that level uh, uh, really has worked and it doesn't work for other people. That Ty Dunn two-parter where people will go to bat and will die on the battlefield for Zimmer. And then other people will be like, Zimmer sucks. And he's coaching them the same way. And that's that's part of the issue. Yeah, so, I mean, I know there's some... But I think the good thing is a lot of people that leave want to come back. And I think that's kind of where Zim is as of right now, that most people who leave want to come back. So it's not super tough, but he does... like I know him and like Mac Alexander bumped head for a long time. Him and Mac just did not see eye to eye. I know he like switched Mac out of position and then he didn't do well. And then he came around and now he, Zim even said he like, he really was, I think Zim, Adam Zimmer and Mike Zimmer both said that they really were surprised at how much he matured. So maybe, maybe Mike Zimmer grow on people. Maybe he can become likable. <laughs> well, uh, I think, uh, especially a lot of people I know have that really become fans of Zimmer because of how he's been handling COVID-19 and telling all his players to get vaxxed and get vaxxed. And I know he's grown some fans because of that. Maybe that's the gateway to him becoming more likable, but I guarantee you there is one way to get everybody to like Mike Zimmer more. That is to bring Lombardi to Minnesota. Uh, get that Lombardi trophy here. That's going to be the number one way to become. Yeah, so, uh, they will name the yeah, stadium so after you. Rolling on one of those. <laughs> oh yeah. They're going to name the stadium after you. If you bring home, the Lombardi Trophy. Um, Deshaun, before we move on to our next topic, I think we should talk about Angel just dropped in the chat. Why didn't they let Mondaire it out if he has a big arm? Nothing but scrambles and handoffs. I I, I want to say it's because he missed 10 days of practice. That's what I want to blame it on. But I just... I feel like I feel like they clocked out after they went down. I really feel like they were just like, all right, guys, we're down. Let's just get out. And I really feel like that's what the game plan is. I mean, like, you have vanilla plays. I mean, you could run four verts if you want mm-hmm. a vanilla play where he could show off his arm. And I feel like it really – it kind of, like, muddies the evaluation for Mon when you don't give him kind of the playbook to really show his entire skill set. But even with that, I feel like he still showed a good part of his skill set. So, that, I mean, I agree that it should have it should have been more than just scramble handoffs, you know, five-yard passes – six, seven-yard passes, and he did attempt a couple of them. I know he 
He had the throw to, I think it was Brandon Dillon. That was like a 15 yard in. He threw it really well. There was another, was like a, like a 10 yard out to Davison and Davison didn't sit down in his zone. So it was behind him. And then again, the pass to Bob Fuller in the back of the end zone. So he was able to show it off his arm a little bit, even though the play calling wasn't really allowing it to. So I guess that's one of the things that we're going to look forward to next week. The playbook will be open because Kirk Cousins is, I think, expected to start the game. So the playbook will be open a little bit. I think it's up to Mon to get some plays down that he can run. I think what Clint should do is sit down with Mon and be like, I want to run these plays and I want to evaluate you with these plays. Maybe give him a script when he starts the game so you can get a proper evaluation on I agree. I think we're going to see a little bit more of that scripted action in, in the third game because uh, you're going to see Kirk Cousins come in for that that, uh, that first little bit on the opening drive, maybe two or three. Uh, and I, I I think you hit the nail on that again, Deshaun. Ten days out. Like how, how much can you really retain in practice without practicing? Yeah, it's very difficult, uh, especially at the quarterback position, to be able to run a lot of these passing concepts without actually running them in practice. And I wonder how much right. of it was they didn't, they didn't want to ruin Mont's confidence. They didn't want him to uh, not necessarily do stuff he wasn't comfortable with yet. Just, and even It may have been in the game plan. They just decided, you know what, we're just going to hold off because, uh, one, they're down. Two, let's just get out, with, get out without getting any injuries. And three – we just don't know Mont's writing this level. Uh, I'm not going to sound the alarm on Mont. I, he's, uh, I didn't like him coming out. I thought he needed a lot of work. And <laughs> his footwork and his upper body feels a lot more relaxed and in sync than it did uh, last year at Texas A&M, which is good. Uh, he, he went to Oz, and he got the Tin Man's Oil, and he put it on all of those joints. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a big fan. Yes, Dave, you're right. He got his playbook after he was drafted. He should know more by now. But I think there's a difference between reciting the playbook and understanding where your reads are and applying it into in-game situations. And I think that's the difference here that we're seeing. Uh, I just don't think that yeah, – like, I know how to run four birds. I know how to run dagger concepts. But at the end of the day, when you run those concepts in practice on the field, it's – it's different. Um, so I'm not going to sound the alarm. Ryan, you are not all-knowing. If it were up to you, we would have only drafted <laughs> Oklahoma players, my man. <laughs> no, uh, I'll give you credit. You uh, you were higher on Mon than me. Um, I saw four years of a incredibly inconsistent robot at Texas A&M. Uh, and I, I see the potential, but I still worry you know, he'll never get there. But the work that Andrew Janoko and uh, Clint Kubiak have been doing so far – has me more optimistic than it was. So I'm, I'm going to take that and run. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's good. It's early. I think it's so early in the development mm-hmm. of Kalamon. I mean, like even after this preseason, he still has probably what, like six or seven preseason games until he's, even probably counted on to be the starter so it's super duper early so next year you can probably you're probably going to see a completely different player and also like you said like i mean knowing like the play in your head and then knowing like where your reads are where your timing is 
completely mm-hmm. two different things. And I don't, I don't think Munn has that timing yet. As you, there were a couple of plays where you saw him have to extend it a little bit. He probably, I mean, we don't have the all 22, so we can't see the routes. We can't see if he missed something here or there. Mm-hmm. So he probably doesn't have that timing with his receivers. And plus it's, you're running with twos and threes and six, seven different receivers. So the time is going to be off a little bit anyway, but again, that's something that you want to work on. That's so maybe that's something for when we go play the Colts that you want to see differently. You want to see him t- hit more timing routes. I agree. And I, with timing routes comes practice that you have to practice those. Cause otherwise it's just going to be an utter disaster. And I think Clint Kubiak having worked with his dad for so long and have worked under other regimes is going to be too smart to make those kind of calls. But Kellen Mond is going to be really fun to watch. And I know you and I are going to be watching very, very closely and continuing to break that down. Um, I think uh, one thing that we, I know we wanted to get to before we, um, left here today is we wanted to uh, debut a new segment on the podcast or the video or however you are listening to this today. Uh, We're going to do player of the week. And I think uh, you and I were kind of on the same page of this. Um, And I will go first here. My player of the week uh, I talked about earlier is Blake Brandell. I thought he was just a really solid piece. And I think he showed that he can be that seventh or eighth offensive lineman for this team. Because he can go inside. He can play tackle in a pinch. I don't think you want him there long term. But if he continues to grow like this, and he has made strides from Kim, his college tape, um, I would, I'm would. i very excited to see what he could be moving forward. And maybe even a starter, kind of like a what a Joe Berger was back in the day. Kind of became like a – he was an okay spot starter. And then throughout the course of his career, he became a really good starter. Yeah, uh, I agree, and I hope that's something he can come into. My player of the week, I have Mason Cole, the vet. Um, I enjoyed that he went out there and he showed that he's been there before. He went out against you know some ones, some twos, and some threes, and he showed that, hey, I've been in this spot before. I know what I'm doing, and it showed. And I think that mm-hmm. that builds confidence for the guys who are worried about depth because now he, he's had significant snaps at both center and guard. So now you have a guy that can do both and do it mm-hmm. relatively well. And I think for everybody that's not super high on Bradbury, I know you're not the not Bradbury's biggest fan, but uh, if, no. if it comes a time where Bradbury really needs to be sat down, we have a guy who went out there, played almost the whole game, and didn't give up pressure and actually ran block really well. I feel like some of the guys that we bring in, it's like either or. Like with uh, when he was solid in pass protection. Like as a pass protection center, he could probably be a starter, but in this run blocking scheme, he just was not getting it done. No. Mason did both. Uh, he is my player of the week. Well, fantastic. Um, I think that is all we have for you here today. Dave, my friend, let's pop you out from your uh, Viking-themed man cave. Uh we haven't heard from you all night tonight. Uh, what did you think of the game? Obviously, uh, they can check out most of your thoughts on the Sunday special, Two Old Bloggers, with you and Darren. But kind of give us a synopsis. What did you think? It was disappointing. It is the first preseason game, which is nothing more than a glorified scrimmage, full speed, full hitting, everything else. But with all those players being out, we didn't expect much in twos and threes. We did expect some. Some players did stand out. Chris Boyd was one of those. I enjoyed seeing. Um, 
Others did not, and Zim reflected that. He sort of went hard on everybody. That is a... Hopefully, he's just feeling out who responds to what type of discipline or reaction. Uh, because like you said, Tyler, everybody is different, and they respond differently. Hopefully, the ones that respond to screaming and put-downs are the ones that step up this week. Because they got plenty of that. Um, it, like I said, it's preseason game one. It really it doesn't matter really diddly squat. It gives time for people to learn full speed what's expected. And we even guys like Jake Browning who hadn't played in two years, they need that. They need to see that. And it, it's it's all part of the learning process. I look forward to this coming up weekend. When uh, the Vikings played the Colts, um, that uh, the ones get out there, and we see how it goes. I do want to see more of that left defensive end competition, and I was surprised mm-hmm. at Patrick Jones. That could get interesting. Patrick Jones came off the line so fast, like he, I think like his first play in, he like undercut. Uh, like a tight end and or a tackle and like got a TFL. He was flying mm-hmm. off the line. He did it a couple times. I've, eventually, those are going to turn into sacks. So yeah, definitely Patrick Jones is one to watch. And hopefully, we can get Daniel Hunter out there against some of the Colts ones. I want to see that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him versus Braden Smith. Let's let's just let two bulls go at it. Yep. I'd like to remind everybody if you haven't already, like subscribe and ring the bell we're trying to reach a thousand subscribers if you have vikings friends or even ones from opposing teams send them our way we'll give them all the love or hate they deserve and we'll have a blast doing it you guys all rock absolutely and with that uh thank you guys so much for joining us here on climbing the pocket mondays from dave deshaun I'm Tyler, and keep your Mondays purple. Yeah. Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation here at Climbing the Pocket.